like <clears throat> that happened during that time as well. I want to finish up a series that I began, and I know that we heard a lot about it in, in Soul Week, you know, this cleansing stream, but you didn't, you, didn't hear, you didn't hear this part of it. That the reason why I'm putting so much emphasis, I know Pastor Jim, when I was gone last week, shared along these same lines as well, that why it's, it's so important for us, the soul, sukikos, the, the emotions, the intellect, who we are, our behavior comes out of that, our responses come out of that. Uh, Paul said in Romans 7, and <clears throat> I read it yesterday, it's kind of almost double talk, why do I do the things that I don't do, but I do the things I shouldn't be doing, basically. He said, there's a conflict going on inside of me. It's like two dogs fighting on the inside, and the one I feed the most ends up winning. And so when we get that, that sorted out and that walking in a right way, a couple of things happen. I get my eyes off of everybody else that has done me wrong. That's a country and western song. <clears throat> done me wrong song. And then somehow or another we get it upon the Lord. We set our affection upon things above and not on things on the earth. You can get so spent, your time spent, distracted, blaming people, which gives us an excuse not to move forward, or we can release them, move on. And we all have stories that we could, could share with that uh, along that line as well. But I want us to look at this morning a couple of things, and one is our action and reaction. It's not, the title of the message is, is Restoring the Altar of the Soul, and I'll get into that <clears throat> in just a moment. That in a New Testament way, we have an altar. The Old Testament was that it was altar simply translated was a raised place of earth. First thing that Noah did when he left the ark was build an altar. There's something about it that a place for God to meet with him. We move that into the New Testament, New Covenant way. And how does God meet with us? We go out and pile up rocks, pile up dirt. No, we, we have an altar inside of us. And we'll look at if that altar, what's, what's going on with that altar. But I was uh, talking with some people recently and in counseling and listening to an action and reaction. There's a physics term for every action, there's a reaction. I got an engineer, amen on that. <clears throat> I'm sure there's the law, for, name of the law of that. For every action, there's a reaction. If I am reacting to something of an action taken previously, then I'm only responding to something that has happened. So if I can change what I'm reacting to, then I can move from reactionary to actionary. Reaction is usually a response of how I've been programmed from something of the past. When you poke the bear, he's going to come out. So if I can get healing from the poke of the bear, using that analogy, then I'll no longer react that way, and the enemy can no longer poke me on that area and keep me to react. Have you ever noticed the times that you're getting really strong and pursuing the Lord? He comes out and he pokes that area. Somebody says something, somebody did something, and all of a sudden we pull from everything of our past memory that we've stored up there. And the brain, as I said a few weeks ago, will search our memory banks. And uh, the neuroplasticity of that will search our memory banks and pull up something, the closest experience it has to that. And then we react to it. <clears throat> it could be something that has nothing to do with this, what, what's going on. But we react to it. So if the Lord can heal our reaction, He can change us into action. 
because reaction is something that maybe have happened in the past. It could be a good thing, not so good thing. But he wants to move us into action where we're acting upon the Word of God that's present tense and it's prophetic. It's always moving ahead. Instead of reacting, I can act. So when Jesus, after his baptism, there in Matthew, and the next uh, Matthew 3, and you go right into Matthew 4, he says he was led by the Spirit, not the devil. He was led by the Spirit up into the high place, a wilderness there, and he was confronting the devil. Notice that Jesus never did a miracle until he first had confronted the demonic realm. He had the breakthrough. The first thing the devil says to him was the last thing that God said to him. God said, you are a son in whom I'm well pleased. The first thing the devil said, if you are a son. So when Jesus, instead of reacting to that, put up your dukes, devil, let's get it on. I kicked you out of heaven once, I'll kick you out again. Let's get it on. So the devil wants to create trash talk within us instead of acting on something that he responds to. I've been around people that did deliverance ministry and they knew all the cliches. They call you, you devil, you slew-footed thing, you liar, and which he is, all of those things above. <clears throat> you can't offend the devil. He's already been offended. He's offended at the glory that's in you. That's why he hates you. He lost the glory in heaven. He's cast out of heaven. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the anointed one, Christ in you is the hope or expectation of glory. So what he lost in heaven in the throne room of God has now put into earthen vessels, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that the excellency of the glory of God is now in us, not of ourselves, but as of God. So the devil sees something inside of you that he can never, ever, ever get back. And he knows the power of that glory that if you and I ever understand the full impact of what we're carrying inside of us, the glory of God, it's game over. And when the game is over, there's no need to trash talk. <clears throat> so when we have to think up things that will holler at the devil, scream at the devil, all of those things that I'm all for, if you want to be passionate about it, it's good. But Jesus said to him, it is written. I'm not reacting to what you just said to me if I am the Son of God, but instead Jesus took action, and that is, it is written. To move into an actionary position instead of a reactionary position, I'm operating out of the Word of God because the Bible says, Psalms 119, thy word has been settled in heaven forever. So taking action means I'm moving out of what's already been settled in heaven and not for debate. The devil knows the word too. So when you know that he knows that you know, and you both know, then at that point, it's the end of it. So to operate in this level of saying is that instead of reacting and letting the devil push my button, I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to push it. Amen. Think about that. The Holy Spirit said, ding, here's what I want you to say. Jesus said, when he, the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to remind you of everything I said. <clears throat> Instead of reminding you of all the things that happened to you when you're a child and potty training and all the issues that happened with that, he's going to remind you of what Jesus said. Jesus said, I've, he sent his word of Jesus, spoken of Jesus, and his word healed you. Instead of the devil saying, where's your God? You're sick. Well, no, he sent healer. God sent an offering, and the offering was his son, and the, the offering destroyed the works of the devil. Romans says, present yourself a what? An offering, 
a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Just as God sent His Son to be an offering to destroy the works of the devil, you are now the fresh offering that He has sent to destroy the works of the devil. When you praise and you worship the Lord, it's more than than enjoying the music and the temple and all that. You're literally joining in with the heavenly chorus, if you will, joining into the heavenly realm, and you're destroying the works of the devil. Let God arise and his enemies are scattered. So if we can learn to be actionary as opposed to reactionary, we have gained a powerful tool in the Spirit of God. The devil loves to bait us. He loves to say things to hit, hurt, and bam. So we, we overcome that by saying, I'm no longer going to respond to that. <clears throat> no longer going to give in to that. Amen. When you recognize the bait of Satan, instead of making you mad, you'll start laughing. The devil hates it when we laugh at him. <clears throat> Evidently, because the Bible says, Speaking of God, they're in Psalms. He that sits in the heavens laughs. Ha ha. That old dog won't hunt again, devil. That's a Texas term if you know that. <clears throat> the devil, I think, is Texan. Because we know how to dehorn them here. <clears throat> I like that. Cat will castrate them too. <clears throat> Make a steer out of that thing. <clears throat> I, this is a prophetic place. What can I say? <laughs> when we respond to what he has written, we, it's like a lawyer going in and pulling out the library of heaven, the logbook, and said, it is written in heaven. It's already settled. Go before the judge and say, the law says this, this, and this. By the blood of Jesus, he cannot cross. He cannot trespass. Therefore, I stand in the authority of what has been written. It has been said. It's been done. But when we operate outside in our own carnal way of, of trying to do something and say something and be angry about it, the devil, he just loves to bait us. But when you come in the authority that's already been lit, written, the code book of heaven, if you will, courts of heaven, Daniel 7, then you realize the fact is we now operate in authority and he can't pull us up out of the seat. Case in point, when Nehemiah's on the wall and he's doing all this work, they realized they couldn't stop Nehemiah doing what God sent him there to do, which was actually to restore the altar and temple worship. Because the enemy knew that once worship got restored back in the temple, then the powers that control that region at that point were going to be lessened in their authority. So he starts taunting him and he's telling him, the work you're doing is so feeble if a fox runs on the wall, it's going to fall down taunting him. Instead of Nehemiah saying, no, we've got the best people up here and these are the best builders and this is the best wall in town. He loves to debate that. Paul says to Timothy, avoid vain and foolish questions that create strife instead of it is written. So Nehemiah simply says, the work I've called to do is too great. I'm not coming down off the wall. I'm not going to honor you with getting into a debate with you. I'm not going to honor you by allowing you to pull me off of what God has called me to be and focused to do. <clears throat> That's the tactic playbook of the enemy. So we, if we learn to be actionary, as opposed to being reactionary, we've literally laid the axe to a big root that causes a lot of discussion arguments. We could bring this down into marriage, which we're going to have a seminar coming up, I think October sometime, marriage seminar. I'll say it here so you don't have to hear it there. Is that if you're in, a, if you're in marriage, 
and you say, I don't like the tone you used. Nobody's ever heard that before. <laughs> don't roll your eyes at me. I read this in a book somewhere. <coughs> I told Diane, I said, I don't like teaching on marriage because I'm always tested with everything I teach. But what we're saying is I, we can react to that. Well, let me just tell you about your eyes. Let me tell you about your tone. Let me tell you about your. So what happens is we move for, away from the real issue into reacting to something that's not even the issue. Right. I don't know how many times I've said in counseling sessions, I say the issue is never the issue. The issue, you're self-centered. The issue, you're unforgiving. It's really basic that. Go back to the Garden of Eden. It's where you want what you want. It's self-centered. Well, that just narrows it down. <clears throat> Cut to the chase. You lay the ax to the root of that. Instead of acting in what the Word of God says by saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be, do that. Man, you just disarmed the whole thing. You went from a potential war, or at least a skirmish, to now you've just shh, by answering, and it is written, it is written. And that doesn't mean answering. The Bible says woman should submit to man. That didn't work either. <clears throat> Let me just say while I'm on that, so, as I said in our class, submission means come under the mission. That as we're submitted to God, then we're not trying to put our gender or our something on somebody else. I don't have to prove who I am. Just simply as you walk with the Lord, somebody will want to follow you. So that's really what submission. We believe in mutual submission. Submit yourself one to another in the fear of God. I said this before, the night before I was to marry Diane, I was thanking the Lord for her. Just, oh, I was so excited, thanking God for her. We're going to be married. And everything else I was thinking about. <laughs> you don't know what I was thinking about, so don't even go there. I bind that. <clears throat> so I, I was in the middle of that I was in this conversation with the Lord he knew my heart was pure and the Lord said remember she belonged to me before I give her away to you I'm her father and it dawned on me all of a suddenly happened that God is now my father-in-law <clears throat> the fear of the Lord came on me and changed every part of it She's never done this, but I always think she's going to say, be careful, I'm going to tell Daddy. <coughs> I think he already knows. So when we're learning not to be reactionary, it's a retraining of our thinking and our brain immediately. We totally disarm everything and we cast the enemy out, not by saying, I bind you, get out of here, get out of here. One way that we see deliverances happen is you no longer feed that spirit. Matthew 12, 44. When an unclean spirit goes out of a house, it will go through dry places looking. What does it do? After the house is clean, they come back and knock on the door. And if there's nothing been filled up, the house is still vacant, it'll bring seven worse than himself. So the idea is we cast it out by filling up with the word of God, with the presence of God, with more of God. So when he comes back, he can't get a word in edgewise. Be filled with the spirit. Playroom means over beyond the capacity of the vessel. Speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your heart. So when you're filled with the Spirit, 
you don't have a reactionary to what the devil's trying to do. When we're conscious more of what the devil is doing on a daily basis than what God is, then there's something wrong. We need to change the channel and find out there's glory and honor and praise. There's thunderings and lightnings going on in the throne room of God, not just sulfur and hell and all the other stuff going on. Because the devil will do anything to take your attention away from the love of God that does what? Casts out fear. Okay. Better hurry. That's not even the introduction, but let's try and get into it. Y'all got me distracted on this marriage thing and submission thing here. <clears throat> All right. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, people perish. The word perish is best translated unrestrained. They have nothing to hold on to. Without the ability to see where we're going, we have nothing to hold on to. Hebrews 6 tells us that that hope is the anchor of the soul. So what anchors the soul, the sukikos of our life, is hope. When you take hope away from a person, the destitute and desperation is that they'll go after anything and every bitter thing becomes sweet, the Bible says, and they can get into false doctrine and deception and all kinds of things and be deluded of what God is really saying to them. God is continually restoring enlightenment with hope. So the soul needs hope to hang on to. And with that, we begin to find that with hope, then we have ability to see and have revelation of what the Lord wants to do. So he's continually saying, I want you to see what I see where there is no vision. So there is vision. Jeremiah tells us, I've not called you to have calamity, but I've given you hope and a purpose. No, I'm not called you to calamity. That's not God, but I want you to have hope and a purpose. Once you see that and you grab hold on it, then when the enemy tries to distract you and says, this is going to fail and that's going to fail, you hang on to what's anchored you in your soul, your heart, which is the Word of God. Act on the Word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. And eventually the devil left him. Jesus never got into a debate theologically, never got into a debate over. He said, it is written, settled. The devil knew it, goes on to the next one, next one, next one. So the point is he left him and the Bible says he came out of that experience, out of that testing wilderness in the power of the Spirit. So when we're dealing with something that is that way, <clears throat> that's, that's continually afflicting, continually harassing us, God's intention for us to have vision to come out of this in the power of the Spirit. Your destiny is not get stuck there. When you pass through hell, don't stop. Ron Canoli sang that song years and years ago. When you pass through hell, don't stop. I like that. Don't get stuck in a position of arguing and, and fussing at the wolves that's howling at you. I've got a table prepared for you at a high place. Don't get stuck in the valley of the shadow of death. Move on through it. The longer you complain about it, the more you stay there. <clears throat> Complaining is saying to God, you, know, you haven't done a very good job taking care of me. <clears throat> blessing the Lord means I look to him as the one who delivers me and brings me into the land of the living. So that's where he wants to take us. Look with me quickly at 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. The whole story with Elijah confronting Jezebel, which is not the message, but it's a great backdrop of that. There had been a, Elijah called for there'd be a drought in the land that wouldn't rain, God said, it will not rain until at your word. He gave him that level of authority. 
Ahab was so angry at him because there was a famine. People were upset with him. Jezebel had 450 prophets of the groves, another 450 of, of the Asherahs. They're all these demonic prophets that she was feeding and, and taking care of. One sign of Jezebel is that always wants to control the prophetic to fit their, her agenda as opposed to what God is saying. <clears throat> Obadiah was a, a guy that would, the Lord had placed there even among this demonic environment, this, this demonic government, if you will. And he was taking food and he had hidden away a hundred prophets of God in the cave. God always has a remnant that he's saving for right time when he brings out and the prophets of God are stronger than any kind of demonic prophets now. So when you see something that looks like they're winning, just wait. God's going to bring some people out of the cave. And when he brings them out of the cave, it's going to change the whole environment. Just wait and see. Do not panic. All right, let's pick it up in, in uh, 1 Kings 18 and about 30. Elijah's calling for a showdown, tells them to gather. You get all your prophets, bring them all together, and we're going to believe God. The God who answers by fire, let him be God. When you see altar, many times, especially in the Old Testament, you'll see the idea that fire is involved with that. When they're going to offer something up on an altar, there's fire involved because fire consumes the offering, and the God who answers by fire reveals himself. Scholars believe that in Genesis 4, when Cain and Abel are offering their two offerings, one is man-centered, man-made, man-convenience, which was Cain. He moved away from God. He was so angry. But evidently, God came and, and consumed Abel's sacrifice. God came by fire because there was no, uh, no debate about whose sacrifice God took. They're both standing there. One is still there, and the other one is smoking. <laughs> Cain becomes mad and angry because God had regard. In other words, God gave attention to an offering. Offering is very important in Scripture, not money you put in a box, but it's really who you are. Your lifestyle, who you are, your worship is an offering, your conversation is an offering, how you respond to people is an offering. The devil takes on and says, that's my offering. I like that anger. I like that demonic. There's an offering to the Lord where we honor and give to him. So he takes the offering and it really becomes a weapon. Because you see in Judges, the seventh chapter, when Gideon has an offering and the angel is there, he said, if you're really who you are, stay there and I'll bring you an offering. He does that. Late Next chapter over, he, the, the angel consumes it all, takes it all, consumes everything, pours out the broth. Gideon goes down and hears by the, the Amorites, and he's hearing what the enemy is saying. He said, I had a dream last night. This pagan said it. And the dream was that this big barley loaf come tumbling into the camp, knocked down all the tents of Midian. Who's a Midian. Knocked down the tents of Midian. And his other pagan friend, which I think is quite hilarious, says, oh, I got the interpretation. That is the sword of Gideon. Nobody had ever heard of Gideon. He'd been hiding out. God took the offering of Gideon and now used it a weapon against the enemy. So our, let us offer the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, Hebrews 13, and we offer it through Jesus. Jesus is the high priest of our confession. We give it through him, and he takes it and uses it as a weapon. So the weapon that he uses is not trash talk of the enemy, but acting upon the word of God. He'll take that and use it against the enemy and slice it up. Elijah calls him down in verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. 
So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar that was broken down. No worship. Prophets of Baal had destroyed it. Elijah took 12 stones representing the 12 tribes according to the number of the tribes and the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. God was reclaiming and declaring his name again. So if we moved into the New Testament, what an altar has an occasion there, we can find out it has a great amount of meaning with that. Now look at the... Look at Matthew 23. Pick it up in verse 18. And whoever swears by the altar, this is Jesus speaking, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Now listen to this. Fools and blind, in other words, you're unlearned, you can't see the truth. For which is greater, the gift or the altar? That, sacrifice, that sanctifies the gift. They were swearing by the temple. They were swearing by the gold in this temple. They were saying, you know, they make an oath. It was always by the temple or the gold in the temple. And Jesus comes along and said, which is greater, the gift or the altar? And he just blows them away because they're thinking it's got to be the gift, the value, the gold and all that. And Jesus says to them, it's the altar because the altar sanctifies or cleanses the gift. So you can put a gift on an on a unsanctified, dirty altar, and it's not received. So we can say, God, I love you, I love you, I love you, my heart's far from it. So when we see the altar is the heart, the soul, our mind, will, and thinking, and we're offering him something, it is received based upon the sanctification, which is a big word for set for exclusive use, hagias, set for an exclusive use, and it's cleansed. So when it's placed on the altar, it is now becomes holy unto the Lord. For you ladies who do cooking, <clears throat> I can't relate, but you don't have to take my word for it. If you took a piece of raw meat and you set it down on the counter, just set it right on the counter, and whatever was on that counter, whether it was staph infection or whatever was on there, or um, something Nella, remember that, salmonella, thank you. I want to say salmon, no, it's not salmonella. And whatever is on that, it is absorbed into the meat. And now you have caused the, whatever was placed on is transferred onto the, the offering that. Same way, God said, I want to come and cleanse your heart. Make your heart fully responsive to the Lord. So when we offer, that's put the offering on our heart, it is not contaminated. Yes. An example of that. Jesus is sitting at the back of the church. Offering boxes are there. And uh, he's telling his disciples, pay attention. Because Jesus spoke more about money than any single subject in the New Testament. He talked a lot about a lot of subjects, but more about that one thing. And he says to them, notice, here was a widow lady who came and put two copper coins, which would be worth a penny of their day, and dropped it in the box. And he said, she gave more than everybody else here. Because essence, he's looking at it differently than the way other people are looking at it. They're saying, I gave X number of dollars, I gave X number of this, and Jesus made it. She gave it all because she was giving it from an altar or a heart that was fully devoted to the Lord. I thought that was worth amen. <clears throat> when you look into Acts, the seventh chapter, 
to where I think it's Acts 7 where he's uh, Ananias and Sapphira. They're bringing the Spirit of God. They're in revival. They're bringing everything that they're offering it before the apostles and so on. Nobody said they had to do it. They were all bringing their houses and their deeds and everything before the apostles and distributing it. And Ananias, Sapphira comes up and they presented themselves as if we are giving it all. And they said to them, by the Spirit of the Lord, we recognize and asked him, did you give it all? And they say, yeah, we did. God killed him right then. His wife comes in later and asks him the same question. Always be sure your, your story with your husband and wives is the same because <clears throat> it'll tell on you. And ask him the same question. Those who are taking him out is there at the door and they're ready to take you out too. Well, but why? Because they lie to the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm glad we're under a greater grace, at least I think we are, to where that God, God is, gives us an opportunity to repent. So there's something about being honest before the Lord when it comes to our heart and the altar. When you present, bring your gift to the altar, Matthew 5, verse 23, and you remember that your brother has ought against you, didn't then say whether they, you did it or not and did it. You leave your gift there and go make it right. In other words, do not offer the gift that's an, on an unsanctified heart if I have issues and anger and hostility. Doesn't mean the fact is, you know, stumped my toe and tripped over them and just said they made me fall. I'm not talking about that. So where there's some anger, hostility, and it's in your mind. Do not offer your gift before the Lord. My question for myself has been, how many times have I been giving God something and he didn't have regard to it? Cain offered an offering. Abel offered an offering. Two offerings. One was taken. The other one left. Kind of like two walking up a hill, you know, at the end of the time, one taken. You know, one grinding at the wheel, one taken. The other one didn't. You just hope I'm the one guy. You know, you hope you're the guy. So there's something about having a heart right before God, an altar of the soul to where that I'm not projecting one way, living one lifestyle, and then yet portraying it. And it said, I'm offering the Lord, and yet he doesn't have regard to that. He doesn't even see it. <clears throat> Could very well be in the last week, Jesus used the example where there was people going out and they were, they were casting demons out. The last day they come before the Lord and they said, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast demons out in your name? At least they said they were. We don't know if they really did. And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? In other words, he's saying, I just attended some classes and I think I got it right. But if my heart is not for him and my heart is not filled with who he is and I'm not representing him fully that his blood worth of that, then I could be saying and being something that's deceiving myself. So there's so much to having the power of God that's written upon our heart by saying, I want to make sure my altar is right before the Lord and sanctified. Ask him to come and cleanse it and bring any healing that needs to happen within that so that I'm not offering I mean, I could have the greatest voice in the world, could have sound really great, and everybody, ah, and those, that guy's a real worshiper. What if my heart is totally different than when I come in, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah? Then he doesn't regard that. I've deceived myself in that. To walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the works of the flesh. To walk in the Spirit means that I'm now, we're now, 
being prompted and led by the Holy Spirit, not being led by what other people think we should be. The fear of mankind brings a snare. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To fear the Lord means that I'm looking to honor Him at everything I do, not hoping that it's not trying to please everybody else in the process of that. It, it's a really controlling spirit with that point. Now, <clears throat> look with me. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Picking up verse 23. Well, 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. He's the, he's the, the guide, the bar for all truth. That you put off concerning your former conduct. We don't come in and just mix it. We put off the former conduct. It is a choice. I die daily, Scripture said. I'm crucified with Christ. That's a daily thing. I will not, I refuse not, I do my best not to allow the flesh to control what, the, what God says is right. I put off the, concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. There's an old country and western song that just came out on some Clint Eastwood movie. I was hearing the, the backstory of this. And they were asking Clint Eastwood, how can you keep making movies at your age? And his comment is, I get up every day, hear a knock on the door, and I look out the window, and if it's the old man, I don't open the door. <laughs> I thought, man, that'll preach. <clears throat> I know he wasn't trying to. I'm not going to let that old conduct and response and reactionary person have any kind of place in my life. When we were first doing power of blessing around here and we're learning and teaching one another and that the thing was that, okay, I've got to get this off my chest. I just need to really curse him good and then I'll forget, and then I'll say, but, but God. God, this really stinks and I think they, I think you just ought to rat, 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 but I bless them. There's a part of that in our nature that really feels a particular way, but when we crucify that and not feed it and give into it, then the new man becomes more normal and we're not having to use muscle memory to remind ourselves that we don't like that. All right. Here's the kicker. Verse there's 23. That we are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That the mind has to be renewed. Now, the spirit of the mind is different than the opinions of the mind. The spirit of the mind is where that the, my mind, our mind, we subject it to our spirit, the eternal part of us that has eternity set in. So the spirit of my mind, allowing my mind, my spirit to take precedent over my mind. And the mind will argue with your own spirit. Listen, everybody's doing it. There's nothing really wrong with all of that. It's not that big a deal. But I want you to abstain from evil. I want you to abstain from every appearance of evil. Well, I got friends that do that. Well, you're not them. Are you going to listen to your spirit? Or are you going to listen to them? You're going to listen to the part of you that's eternal, or are you going to listen to them that's temporal? And how can you be a testimony to them when you're supposed to be eternally a temple of God and you're feeding into them that's a temple of this world? Ugh. The old man has dominant sin. Isaiah 9 says the government, speaking of Jesus, shall be on his shoulders. So the question is, who or what's governing us? 
What's governing us has really control of us. Either fear of God, the Word of God, or something else is doing it. I have to choose to allow Him to be Lord even if I don't like it. Well, it's not good if you just have to grin and bear it. Well, just keep grinning and bear it to where you can grin easily. All right. The spirit and the carnal mind is always at enmity, the Bible said. Always at enmity. Hath God said, yes, he did. So when people say, I cannot hear God, I don't hear God, well, the Bible's full of the voice of God. You may not hear shouting ears, but really, our spirit really knows what's right. But the more we suppress our spirit, it's like putting him in the back room, and I won't let him speak and really have talked to me for a long, long time, and they say, I'm not hearing from God. No, we have oppressed him. The Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. It's the same word that, was that we put it in English as saying, one who's a jilted lover. So the Holy Spirit feels like a jilted lover that you're engaged to, and at the last moment, ah, I'm not going to do it. I'm married to this world. So the more times we grieve the Holy Spirit, the Bible says we're sealed with Him in promise, then the less He has access to speak into our lives. So in order for the soul to get sanctified, doesn't mean we kill it. We've just got to live with it. But we can live with it in such a way that honors and glorifies the Lord. So when the offering is placed upon that soul, our heart is with Him. When the Scripture says, and He said, this is the commandments of the Lord, the first commandment, and He said, this just takes care of all of it. Thou shalt what? Love the Lord thy God with part of you on Sunday morning. <laughs> that is the new almost inspired version. Thou shalt worship, praise, honor, bless the Lord with everything, all of your heart, your mind, and your body. Three part, every part of your engulfed in that. So he said, well, you know what? I'm just not I'm not into worship. Well, the worship should get in you then. If you're not into worship, it means you're not in Him. Because the Bible says He created you for such thing. So worship is not a, a uh, you know, just a cursory little thing that we do and a prelude before the preaching. If we think it's the, you know, I've got to get on the Word but forget the worship, then we have missed the whole thing because the, the early church was the presence of God revolved around the worship, not the preaching of the Word. In fact, we can't even hear the preaching of the Word until we first worship the Lord and gotten our heart plowed before the Lord. Judah shall plow, worshiping Him. So when he talks about the first commandment, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and strength, if you keep my word my commandments, then the word of God is in you. Your fear of God is keep my word. So what, he, what he's saying to us is I'm preparing an altar inside of you so that when you offer that thanksgiving for the Lord, he takes that and he uses that as a weapon against the enemy to destroy the works of the devil. I don't have to try to work to get right. We are right with him. Amen. Continually. Now here's how you get victory. You'll begin to notice this next week, I'll tell you, you'll begin to notice things that will tick you off. You, you jest. 
Pay attention. It ticks you off that, praise God, this is an opportunity. I'm going to starve that thing and get victory over it, and I'll have less to deal with it down the road. I'm going to get empowered by it. I'm going to get a trophy for it somewhere in the heavens. I'm sure they got them. Not just participation. I'll get a trophy for winning this one. And every time that I'll not feed into that, but I'll allow what is written to be the response, not reactionary, but acting upon that, then I'll have opportunity to do it. I'll have an opportunity to break through. It's either I believe it or I don't. We might as well say, God, this is, a, this is an altar. It belongs to you. It's cleansing it. And I'm sanctifying it so everything gift comes on it honors you. And I need the best, best bang for the buck when I put that gift on the altar that I can get. No mixture there as well. All right. Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Soul meaning mind willing. Bless the soul's got to get to where I can bless him and forget not all his benefits. The reason I forget is because my soul has not been blessing the Lord. When I bless him, the Holy Spirit reminds us of all the benefits that I can stand in and believe God for to turn things around. Now, all right, here's the interesting with this. 1 Peter 2.5 says that uh, we are lively stones built up a spiritual house. Just as in the stones that Elijah used to rebuild the altar in a New Testament way, we are lively stones. He's used that a couple of times in Scripture. Jesus talking about coming in Jerusalem. If they don't praise me, and they were just, they were chiding Jesus for them, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. He said, if they don't do it, even the stones will cry out. That's not a metaphor. That is literally the very thing God created, creation, will begin to shout out from that. His DNA, he created all things and uphold all things by the word of his power. Those stones, those fragments of dust are held together by his voice. You are created. He spoke out of the dust and you came out of that. So his DNA, his voice, his word. God doesn't have a brain, so he's not thinking. And the sound of God holds it together. So he's saying when he walked through, the creator of the universe walks through, then the very sound of him holds all things together. How much more do we need him to hold us together? So we are lively stones, not a dead rock sitting in a pew chair somewhere. Pray well, hallelujah, praise God, let's get on with it. I got things to do. That's a dead rock. Might be worth a pet rock, but no, he's not a lion. We're lively stones put with inside of us this sense that cries out to him. Well, that's just not my nature. Well, then get his divine nature. Quit holding on to an old man nature and saying, I'm, I'm being given excuse to him because I prefer to be this way. He prefers that in heaven is the, is the place that we're going to put a model for worship is lightnings and thunders and roarings and holy and sound and hallelujah and pails of thunder going on. So maybe we wouldn't like heaven after all. I think they got a place over the church Christ day and it's a little quieter over there. I don't know. We'll see when I get there. So that God said, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. I'm not saying you have to act like everybody else, but act like, like the Spirit of God is on you. You're an altar raised up as lively stones with him written on it. 
Now, if I could take you into Revelation, a little bit of a stretch with that. He said, when we come before him in the throne room of God, we're given a white stone. It has some backstory to something that they did in the legal. And he said, a name is written on that stone that nobody knows save he that wrote it. So God has given us a name that on that stone, which means there's, there's stones when they would, they would do it legally and they would give a white stone. It meant as a sign of parole, forgiveness, your sins, your debt has been paid, and you were given a white rock. You know, walking around with a, with a scroll, you walked around with a white rock. And so he said, the redeemed of the Lord, and there's a name written on it that speaks of who you are based upon who he is. So we are lively stones with an altar that's built up a spiritual house, even for the praises, singing praises unto the Lord, to offer a spiritual sacrifice unto the Lord. So what is a, a spiritual sacrifice? It's one that's got the Spirit of God in it. It's not a human sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice of option, not a sacrifice of, of personal preference. So he said, well, I wish Frankie would sing these songs. If he would sing this song, I could really get into it. Well, that means we're not really into worship then. If we have to design it in such a way for you to get into it, it means that worship's not gotten into you. Because when worship's gotten into us, we can worship with presence of greater as he within us comes out of that. I've told you before, I've been in Africa in mud huts. Well, there's nothing but a hollowed out log and a piece of animal skin stretched over it. And the presence of God has filled that thing. And they were dancing and I mean, dust was flying and we were just there and we had worship. They didn't even have electricity. Well, I can't sing without a, you know, this or keyboard. I can't sing without electrified or that. Then worship isn't in us. Everything that hath breath, wait for the guitars to play. <laughs> Everything that hath breath, let it come out expressing to the Lord. Now, all of these other instruments and everything else, I'm thankful for it. It kind of helps us for people that need a little prompting to get into that. But really, worship is in us, and we don't have to wait for a Sunday morning to do it. You can be every, at all times, at all seasons, you begin to express who He is, it's worship to Him. It's true. Acts chapter 2. God is moving from an old covenant into a new covenant, which was foretold, foreshadowed so many ways in the Old Testament. Because they, they couldn't handle God on the Mount Sinai, but God still wanted to be in them. It's still his desire. So he placed himself, his presence, his glory, inside a box called the Ark of the Covenant on top of the mercy seat. Everything that, all the elements that was needed there to represent him was there. Inside of that was Aaron's rod that budded authority that was fruitful and productive. All authority should produce something. Not a, a rod just to beat people up. Authority is there to help be fruitful. The pot of manna there, which is, means revelation, the hidden manna, the revelation talks about. The hidden manna, the revelation is inside of that. The tablets that this law, who he is, is and his nature is written there. We place all of those things in Christ in us, inside of us. We have authority, we have revelation, and we have his word inside of us. We are now the ark of his covenant in a New Testament concept with the blood already on the mercy seat in the heavenlies, and we operate with that. 
Wherever we go, the presence of God is there. If we could see ourselves, when you go to work, the ark of the presence of God is there. You imagine the story when, when uh, they, David didn't know what to do with the ark of the covenant and stumbled, Uzzah dies, and so they sent it over to uh, Obed-Edom, who wasn't even a Jew. Goes into Obed-Edom's house, Obed-Edom, if you're a Hebrew scholar. So Obed-Edom's this house, God comes into the house, sitting in the front room. They don't, David's afraid of it. They don't want to do with it. Obed-Edom's got it. We've got God here. We don't know who he is, but he's here. Yeah. Everything changes in the household. Right. Daddy's doing dishes now. The kids are getting straight A's now. Something has changed where everything's happening in favor of God and all that. It's because God's in the house. So David understands what we've got to do because we're all about this God in the box. We're all about Yahweh's inside that we don't want to lose that. It was in his heart to bring him back, God, back into Jerusalem because that was the place that God wanted to be. He brings in David no longer built Solomon's temple or, well, Solomon's temple hadn't been built yet. David's not rebuilding Moses' tabernacle. He pitches out his tent, Acts 15. He says he built this tent so all mankind will seek after God. No longer three compartments, outer court, inner court, the, the veil, holy of holies there. It's just one tent. You open up the tent and there he is. Yes. You don't have to go through all these steps yes. of this priesthood and all this stuff. God says, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to meet with you. They come and take, take it out of Obed-Edom's house and you can follow the lineage through. It so impacted Obed-Edom that he packed up all of his family and he followed the ark to Jerusalem. Yes. And Obed-Edom became a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Yes. I just got to stay close to God. I saw what it did to our family. I saw it changed everything. I have to have the presence of God. I will do whatever I've got to do. Change locations, change whatever I've got to do, but I've got to move towards God. That is my decision from that point. Now, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Yes. Holy Spirit comes in, fills them, begin to speak in glossalia, languages that nobody's learned. There's Nations out on the street coming in for the, the feast for the day, and they're hearing them speak in their own language. That is one time. God was saying that was in these languages, was saying we heard them praising God in our own language, so we know what they were saying. When the Holy Spirit came in, he set upon them as tongues of fire. You've heard me say this before. When you go back and, and look at some of the ways that they would dedicate a temple that they would set the altar up and then they would put a torch or a fire on top of the temple. Because the God who answers by fire means that this temple is now ready for his presence to be released. So that little tongue of fire on our head, I think, I don't know what that thing was. Maybe somebody crazy thing going on, some Pentecostal thing. No, it was God. He was coming and he's saying, I now am moving in to temples made without hands. I'm now moving into your temple, and every temple has an altar. Today we have altars where we kneel and pray, but the altar was an understood, was a place that you met with God, a place you encountered with God. Uh, Abraham had over, I think, seven altars, and he went, kept going back to those places where he had encounters with the Lord. Some of you this morning will hear that the Lord says, I want to restore you to your first love. 
That doesn't mean your first ministry or anything. Restore you to this passion that invoked you, that drew you into the, the wedding chamber with him. When Jesus uses the term, and he said, when you go, come into your to prayer, you enter into your closet and shut the door and pray. Some of you don't have big enough closets to even do that. Some of you got closets, you could hide a whole horse in there. <laughs> Some of you got ha- closets bigger than some people's houses <clears throat> just for your shoes. <laughs> he said, shut the door. And he uses the term closet there. It's not where you put your clothes, but it's the word tamion, which means the place of intimacy. When you come into a place of prayer, he said, it is to be a time of intimacy with the Lord. Not a gripe session, not a complaining thing, not an, oh God, I think this is fair. But at a time, he said, I just want to meet with you, the lover of my soul. Restore me for the, to that first love with that point. And any, every time that there is an intimacy with Jesus, there's always an exchange of seed. Do you understand my metaphor? Husband and wife, intimate. There is an exchange of seed. She becomes a carrier of the seed of another world. Jesus imparts unto us something of another world. And I'll just throw in too that the word seed in scripture is the word translates sperma. And so he says, I'm putting something inside of you that is eternal. And all I'm asking you to do is to be a carrier of this. And don't abort it. Don't despise it, but be a holy altar, a holy temple. The fire has come upon. The God that answers by fire is set upon you, not as a metaphor, but to reveal that I've sanctified you as a holy temple, a carrier of my glory and my presence. When we have revelation of that, this world has lost a huge grip on us. This world and everything that is said and done at us and to us, all that, begins to lose its grip. We put off because we put on. Put on the garments of praise because the spirit of heaviness. I give you beauty for ashes. I don't have time to get in a whole message about fire. But the Bible, when it talks about fire, there's a number of things. Number one, it is completely to renovate and destroy something. At the end of the age that this world's going to be destroyed by fire, God's not going to let, you know, Russia do it. He's not going to give it to anybody else. God's, God's reserved it, new heaven and earth. He's going to renovate it by fire out of his mouth. We know that also that fire, in a, in a spiritual way, consumes something that we've offered to the Lord. It consumes us. But it also re- will reduce something to ashes at its very base combat. Whatever something was, the ashes are there, it's, but it's compound. Its physical feature is not there, but the ashes and the DNA is that. If you took a plastic bottle and you melted it down and melted it just down to particles, the very thing that it was from is still there. When God comes upon us in fire, he changes and renovates the way it seems, but the very essence of who he is is there. The fire of God comes upon us not to destroy us, but to restore us back to the very base elements that he's called us to be and do. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, still there, the DNA. 
So when he talks about the fire of God consuming us, it's not just, I got chill bumps and passions, but it's to restore us back to the very basic elements of the Lord thy God and him first, and he only will I worship. And that passion makes it so simple of worshiping the Lord. So we say, Lord, the God that answers by fire is restoring back to the original passion of what he intended for us to be. Stand with me, would please. It's an interesting verse of scripture that I want to conclude and pray over us. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 15. So everyone's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is, of its nature, where it came from. If anyone's work which he has built on and endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. In other words, God will bring fire to separate us from what should be a loss and then keep that which has just now been cleansed. If anyone's work is burned up, who suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, tongues of fire coming upon it? You are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So I said, what know you not that your body is the temple of God? For several months now, the Holy Spirit just keeps reminding me and just sticking this deep in my heart. He's to remember that I'm in here too. You're not just a bag of bones. You look in the mirror, you're not just a human body, but you're an eternal being. You carry eternity inside of you. You carry the very DNA of God inside of you. We represent him on earth as if it's in heaven. And we should feel conviction of the Holy Spirit when we do not represent him in the way that he's called us to be. I mean, I've missed it. I have to go back and say, God, forgive me. I want to be a better ambassador than this. An ambassador represents the authority and government of another country. We were ambassadors representing the throne of God. Greater is he that's on the inside, our spirit being, than he that's on the outside. So if I know that he on the inside is eternal and he says all things are well and I submit my mind to him, then that means it's all going to be good. But if I react to that, I suppress him and say, listen, I'm not going to listen to you right now because I I want to take care of this myself. I just feel the need need to do it. And I grieve him. When I was 18 years old, well, 17 before that, I just felt like I wasn't normal because other kids went to church and they didn't have to deal with stuff I did. I got convicted over everything. I had a mother who sounded very much like the Holy Spirit. So one day I was in service and I said, man, I just feel conviction of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't anything bad. It was just an attitude. Copped an attitude with, with, and 
my parents. I felt so convicted. I said, Lord, I just, I said, right. Holy Spirit, leave me alone. I had no idea what I was saying. I didn't realize how much the Holy Spirit was active in my life. For three weeks, I felt as empty as a shell with nothing inside. I was an empty suit. I would go to school and I think, I don't know why I'm in school. I have no purpose. I have nothing in life. Nothing seems to make sense to me. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't think. I couldn't figure out a while. It took me a week or more to remind me what I had said. And I had a message, 100 messages preached to me as a kid. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not despise the things of God. And he came back to me. I said, oh, what I've done. I repented. I said, Lord, forgive me. Restore the joy of my salvation. You know what? It didn't happen. It went on for another two weeks. I cried out to him. I said, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know even what I had. I didn't realize how important you were in my life until I, I separated myself from you. I'm sorry I grieved you. It's like a good parent that just allows you to soak in your sauce a little bit. <laughs> Finally, the third week, God, I can't stand this anymore. Just kill me and get me over with. I can't not live without you. I learned to live with you so much and I took you for granted. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Went down to the altar and stayed there all day. Everybody's left. My, my mother's waiting on me to leave. I lasted the pastor. It's a lock up when you leave. I could not, I would not leave there until I found that he had restored my soul. And I knew when he came in and he said, never again say that to me. Walk in the fear of the Lord and you'll keep the altar clean. So every once in a while the Holy Spirit comes and he just fills the fire of God. Fire is not just for passion and zeal, and we love it when we worship the Lord with zeal. If, if worship has become dull to you and worship has become something that is just routine to you, then go back and ask Him to ignite the fire of God. Because when you have a love of your soul, you can't wait to get in before Him. If you have somebody you care about, you can't wait to get to them and pick them up and have that date and have that. You can't wait to get there. But if it's routine, then it's, oh, it'll always be. There'll always be another one. There should be an urgency inside of our spirit. I shall worship the Lord thy God, and he alone shall I worship. Well, I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. Seek the kingdom of God first. So it become, the kingdom of God is real. It becomes a priority in your life. I push everything else around, schedule everything else around him, because he's eternal. I know that we have things that we need to do and take care of, we can honor him at the first thing, the first fruits, the first moments, the first hours of the day, the first time. By doing that, we create an altar between heaven and earth that the Spirit of God comes and sets on. And it's amazing how clear and easy it is when you say, give me this day my daily bread. He said, you ready? Grab a pen because it's going to be more than what you thought. And you start writing all that he has to say. And it's a personal word, not a preaching word. It's bread from my Father's hand. I know that we're connected, 
because when he pings my heart like the cell tower and I say oh it's you I'll block that call here I am Lord here I am to worship you here I am to meet with you again with all of my faults and all of my weaknesses yet you still call me friend commune and fellowship with me though things are not always right and in order I know that you're always right there for me I want to come with all of my uncleanness with all of my undoneness with all of the things that I miss doing yet you still call me in to fellowship with your sons. So Lord, right now, let the fire of your presence, let the glory of your name come. Light again the furnace of your spirit inside of us. Light again your name on the inside of us so that everything comes out, sounds like you, out of the abundance of the heart. The glory says, Yahweh, Yahweh, holy are you, O Lord God. Father, would you just come right now and cleanse the altar? And you know what that means? You don't have to hunt for it. The things that starts clicking in your heart, the Holy Spirit will point out. You don't have to go looking for them. You just comes to your heart right then. And when it does, say, Father, forgive me. I, I'm sorry for that. Will you come and cleanse this? Wipe it clean. Through the blood of Jesus, it's clean. So that I can offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving in a whole new way than I've ever done before. Forgive us, O oh Lord, when we've come so familiar to worship that it doesn't mean what it once did. It's not about a song. It's not about a tempo. It's not even about lyrics. Out of our innermost being, we get to say, holy, holy, holy. Glory, honor, and praise is to your name, O Lord God. We ask, Father, that the God of Elijah, who is our God through your son Jesus, come and set upon us as fire once again. The God who answers by fire, he will answer when we're saying, I'm willing for the fire. The fire is not to destroy, the fire is to restore. So we praise and we thank you for your favor upon us in Jesus' name. If you're asking God to renew or something fresh within you, renewing over your mind, renewal, fresh renewal, I want you to come and just stand here. I'm going to pray with us. We'll pray in a general sense. Romans says to us, verse 1 and 2, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable expectation of service. Then verse 2 says, we are transformed, in other words, a different shape, not physically, but where we are spiritually. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. 
for some of you standing here that God is healing you from condemnation. Maybe you've been beating yourself up and thinking, you know, I'll, I'll never get there and there's so much pressure and so on, you know. And I know I'm, you're in a church where the Holy Spirit is continually digging and trying to bring us closer to the Father. Someone told me one time, he said, I can't stay in your church. And I said, why? He said, man, the heat. I said, it's not me. He's in charge of the thermostat. But we want to present it in such a way that my mind is not working against me. My mind is not interfering with my spirit. And I start by, first of all, saying, I'm not, I will not justify any behavior that he has not said is okay. You, you never win by that. So, Father, I pray over, just hold your hands out here if you would present. We present ourselves before you, O Lord, a temple that is asking for the inspector of the universe. It's the word visitation. You're the Lord God who's come to visit, not as a guest, but to come to inspect. So we ask you, Lord, to inspect your temple, not for the purpose of failing, but for the purpose of saying we're ready for the next level. We're going to build, build at a higher level. I just pray and release over every person things, oh God, that you're saying personally and individually, that you want to come on the altar and cleanse the altar of our heart so that it can be fresh, fervent, alive again that is brought up before you, Lord, that the offering and the gift we offer before you is not substandard. It's not of the leftover, but it's godly. It looks like you. It is led by the Holy Spirit. Forgive us, oh Lord, we got, some of us got one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, and we don't know which side we want to stand on. Today, forgive us for being double-minded, and we step into the kingdom of God, and it says the King of glory come and fill up the entire house. I give you room. It's all yours, oh God. I give you my tongue. I give you my thinking. I give you my opinions. I lay them down and allow you to become the God of creation. Some of you will feel conviction of things you've always done. You felt maybe they were okay. You know, always, Bible says all things are lawful, but not everything's expedient. So there's some things that God will say is not expedient for you any longer. It's not an urgency. It doesn't lead you to me. Then God says, you lay those down and I'll come and sanctify the altar. You can justify it, but if he's saying something to you about it, then you know that's really what he's saying. So Father, we present ourselves as an instrument that the fire can come upon you. At any place, oh God, that we repent, you call it cleansed. We take authority against any power of the enemy that would come and try to bring something back on the altar and repollute it and remind them of, of something. Today we leave it here, the fire of God, let it be burned up and it cannot be reconstructed, reconstituted in any way because you blow it away. As far as the east is from the west, you remove our transgressions from us. And so, Father, right now, we thank you for a fresh altar ready for a sacrifice of praise and honor and glory to be offered before the Lord today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Can we just have a simple little course as a way before you leave and we're done? Just now let the worship arise.
feel prompted right now someone here that if Jesus walked through and said time no more and he'd take you right now you're not ready to go whenever head bowed right now I want you to pray because I feel an urgency of the Spirit of God the Bible says that every person will have an opportunity to receive Christ maybe this is your time that this is your day if you don't know Jesus Christ the Lord, you've not invited him in your life and you pushed him away again and again and again, I want you to slip your hand up. Nobody's looking around, but I want to know who I'm going to pray for. So lift your hand right now. Is this brother right here? Yes. Amen. Right here. Michael, right behind you. You go ahead and pray with this guy. Anybody else? I, wouldn't, I don't normally do this, but I'm telling you, I feel the urgency and the press of the Holy Spirit right now. Pray, church. Lord, we just praise you and thank you that today is the day of salvation. Your word is life. Your word is light, O oh God. Your name, O oh Lord, is exalted with that. We thank you for the might and power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you. We thank you, God, that you're doing something incredible, Lord, right now. That your name, O oh God, is exalted. You're the Lord of hosts, one that is You've delivered them out of darkness into light today. Felt the conviction, felt the weightiness of God. See, when these times like this, it's not about only accepting the Lord, it's also given opportunity to reject Him. So I'm doing one or the other. It's no middle ground. There's no middle ground at all. So Lord, thank you, God, that you've, you've taken away the middle ground. We're either, we're either in or we're out, but we receive you, God. Thank you for the altar and the cleansing of who you are, the blood of Jesus that died for us. <clears throat> I pray for anyone who's carrying the spirit of anger just, that's just raging inside of them. By the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the authority of who he is, I sever ties with that angry spirit. I sever ties with that thing that's rooted and grounded in that. In the book of Hebrews, it said that root of bitterness springs up and defiles a lot of people. God, today, would you just lay the ax to the root of that and recognize, oh God, that we can't carry that thing anymore, destroying ourselves. Eternity is at stake today. We thank you and we praise you for it. <clears throat> in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's go back and just sing that one more time. Oh, what a Savior He said he wonderful we sing hallelujah, the Christ is risen. Oh, I bow down before Him. He is the Lord of all. We sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Father, I bless every person that is come forward. I bless them with a fresh altar of fire covered by your blood that says 
You're open to all that he has for you. Old things are passed away, and behold, you behold him. He's creating inside of you a fresh way of seeing him in all this glory. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace. Have a good day. Bye-bye.